those that weren't here last week uh, talking on the subject of exploring discipleship and make a quick rehab. Hey there, welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Follower of Christ. So, what we're talking about are things that help us to become more effective in following Christ. And uh, as I began to think about this, you know, we, we talk about the big stuff a lot. The, there are some, some very powerful tools that we have. We, we talk about prayer. Uh, we're a pray-first church, and prayer is the number one tool in the toolbox. And it starts it, it ends with that, and it better be in the middle too. Um, reading and studying the Scripture, I, I've spent a gigantic amount of my life studying the Scripture, and it's been a blessing to me. Um, I honestly can say that uh, that's that's the thing that I have spent more time on than than anything else. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time in the Word, and it's been a blessing to me, and it's helped me in so many different areas. And then there's just going to church and being with the people of God, and of course, fasting. You know, prayer, fasting. The Word of God, being with the people of God, those are kind of the four big nuclear weapons that we have as children of God in, in the arsenal, right? We talk about those a lot, but there are a lot of other things that we have access to. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought, to the obedience of Christ. In that there, it says there are three words, imaginations, knowledge, and thought. And those three words sum up the battlefield. It's all right here. It's between our ears. And if we can get our thinker right, a lot of times the battle becomes vastly more simple. And so, as I began to put this thing together, and I was thinking about discipleship, about becoming more effective in following Christ, I started thinking about some things that happened to me over the course of the last 25, 30 years that, were, that, that helped me become more effective. And, and they all centered around my mentality, how I looked at situations. I talked about getting out of the whirlwind a lot last week, but to sum it up, in Job chapter 38, verse 1, the Bible says, And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. And if you read it the way I hear it, it's God saying, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? As a matter of fact, He actually says this. He says, Stand up like a man, <laughs> and answer me. And, and the thing is, is that, that, that God was not pleased with Job, and the reason why God was not pleased with Job was because Job was addressing his own personal righteousness and not God's. And what Job said was, is that, look, I'm in this mess not because I've done anything wrong. I'm righteous. And God agreed with him. Job chapter 1 God says, have you considered my servant Job, who is righteous? 
but you find that Job, Job's falling down was in that he was looking at himself and not pointing to God. Not He was going with, woe is me. Look, I'm doing all the right stuff. Why am I in this mess? And the Lord didn't like that. So the point there is, is stay out of the whirlwind. It's a mentality thing. It's the way we think about stuff. Um, and so the way we think has to, has to shift sometimes. And so I want to continue kind of along the, the, in that vein about the way we think about things. And tonight I would like to talk about embracing the conditions. Embracing the conditions. We love a victory. We like, we like to watch movies about underdogs who win. And when we're talking about Bible stuff, we talk about David and Goliath and Paul and Silas and Jericho and the possession of the promised land and the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And, and we talk about Gideon and we talk about the three Hebrew children and Daniel in the lion's den and Peter walking on water and even Jesus' resurrection. We love those stories, we teach those stories, we sing about those stories, we preach about those stories, and we teach those stories to our children in Sunday school. So I want to do a little review of some of this and kind of deconstruct some pieces of it because there's some parts of this that while we love the victory, we don't embrace the conditions. You think about the story of Paul and Silas, it's found in the book of Acts chapter 16, and it's, I'm not going to read it all, but it starts in, uh, in verse, verse 16. Find my Bible app and go to Acts. But as the story goes, that... Paul and Silas had been out ministering and they'd been going from town to town doing the work of God. And they get to this one town and they're headed off to prayer and this woman who was possessed, this slave that was possessed of a devil um, came after them and started saying, these are, these are followers of God. These are the servants of the Most High. And she just kept pestering, kept pestering, kept pestering. And she was a slave, and the guy who owned her uh, used her to make money because she could, she could predict the future. And so eventually Paul got tired of it. The Bible says he kind of got frustrated. And so he turns around and casts the devil out of her. Well, that made, that made the guy that owned her upset because he just lost his income. Because she couldn't tell the future anymore because she did it by divination, by this, this possession that she had. So she was useless. So he revved up the crowd. They beat him up and got the magistrate involved and threw him in prison. And so they're sitting in jail and they're singing and worshiping God. And this is the part we like about the story. They're in jail and they're worshiping God and they're singing. And an and, 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 uh, earthquake comes and tears open the doors of, of the place. And the Bible says that that uh, the jailer realized what was going on, was about to kill himself because he knew that he was going to be in trouble with the people in power because all of his prisoners were escaping. And Paul actually stopped the prisoners from escaping and taught a Bible study to the jailer 
And the jailer and his whole family repents, gets baptized, and they're added to the church. We love that part of the story. You know what we don't like? We don't like getting beat up and abused for doing the work of God. But Paul, doing the work of God, had to get beat up and abused and thrown in a jail so that he could get in front of the jailer when the jailer was in a position to hear the word. We don't like the conditions. But you think about that story from the standpoint of the conditions that lead to the battle that produce the victory. The conditions have to be embraced if we're going to win. Paul and Silas, in the middle of the, of the, of the nightmare, were praising God and singing songs because they embraced the conditions. It's a mentality shift. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. You know the story. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel violates the king's command that no one is to pray or petition God or any other man but the king for 30 days. And Daniel is committed to praying every single day. And so Daniel, by his commitment to God, finds himself in a position that not even the king liked when he realized the mistake that he had made by putting Daniel in that position, he was upset with himself, the Bible says. He didn't want to do this to Daniel. He was tricked into it by some other people. But Daniel's commitment left him in that position. The king tells Daniel, your God's going to deliver you, but i got to toss you in that lion's den. Now, we love the story because we know what happens. And, and, and Daniel is full of faith, and the Bible doesn't, and I'm not trying to downplay Daniel's faith. He walks into it saying, you know, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. I, I'm not going to back off of serving God and praying every single day. That's not going to change. Doesn't matter what the outcome is going to be. That doesn't change. But the fact of the matter is, is Daniel had to stand there with the door open looking at the lions. And he had to walk into that room. You ever been there? you got to walk into the room. You don't have a choice. Spiritually speaking, I've been there. All I know is that we don't always love the conditions that lead to the battle. But if the conditions aren't there, there isn't going to be a victory. Had Daniel not violated the king's rule, we wouldn't have a story about a lion's den. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they actually said, we have no idea if he will, but we know he will deliver us. He can deliver us. We don't know if it's going to happen. We may die here. But it ain't going to change our part in the equation. Whatever God is going to do, God is going to do. But our part in the equation, it's going to be this thing that we've done. We're not going to bow to the king. We're not going to bow to an idol. We're not going to serve a false god. Matthew chapter 14. There's this incredible story, and you know it well. 
concern. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went up to them. This is the, 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 the disciples in a boat in the sea. And the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out in fear, but straightway Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it's I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter went, was down, uh, the, and, and Peter was come down out of the ship, and he walked on the water to Jesus, but he saw the wind was boisterous and was afraid and began to sink, and he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased, and then they that were in the ship came out, came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Some interesting things in this story. It starts with the disciples in a boat late at night, and a specter appears walking on the water. Now, I don't know what that's like, but in the church I grew up in, it was a church that was about 100 years old at the time. Uh, I was 20, 21, 22 years old and uh, gotten out of the Navy and come home. And I made it my habit to go to the church at midnight to pray. And this is a big, cavernous, old, creaky church with lots of sounds that are not natural. So I felt some Holy Ghost and I felt some other ghosts in that room. <laughs> One o'clock in the morning, I'm trying to talk to God, and there's other things in there that sound like they're trying to talk to me. And <laughs> talk about disturbing the water. Every once in a while, the machine would turn on and it would start stirring the water in the baptistry, and then you'd hear the running water, and it would just freak me out. It took me a while to learn how to deal with that. So I can imagine how upset they were in the moment. How difficult that might have been for them all. And Peter says, if it's really you, call me to come out there. <laughs> this part always kills me. Because honestly, if it wasn't Jesus, don't you think if it was the devil, he'd say, yeah, sure, come on, bro. Bloop. <laughs> being terrible. I need to stop that. But it does. It, it, but you know what Peter did? He got out of the boat. And then there was wind and there was waves and there was something to look at. You, you know where the other guys were? In the boat. Do you know whose name we talk about? The guy that got out of the boat. We don't even know who else was in the boat. Because it doesn't list their names because they don't matter. They didn't figure out who he was until he got in the boat with them. They didn't embrace the conditions. And yes, yes, Peter got out there in a moment of faith, and then he realized what he was in, and, and he kind of freaked out a little bit. Anybody ever done that? In a moment of faith, you step out, and then all of a sudden it's like, what have I got myself into, Lord? <laughs> Where are you? There's a wave over here. Evidently, evidently, look, Jesus wasn't like, here, like, here's the boat and here's Jesus. Because if it was this close, Peter would have seen his face. 
So Peter said, call me out to you and I'll come. So, so Jesus had to be far enough away that he wasn't real sure about what he was looking at. And the Bible says that, that when Peter panicked, Jesus reached out and grabbed him. You see how far Peter had to get from the boat? Peter had a whole lot of faith in that. And the wind didn't just pick up all at once. It was enough to build the waves. So the waves had been coming. It eventually got to him. You know, the waves get to us. We, we run into trouble in the midst of our faith. When we're doing the work of God and things are going and, and we're just plugged in and then all of a sudden something happens and knocks us for a loop. You know what? That happens. That's, that's life. And that's the moment when you need to embrace the conditions. The conditions. I'm thankful that that Peter was willing to walk on the water because I'm thankful that we have the story. You know, there's, a, there's another story that, that has that element in it. Uh, the woman who comes to, to, to Jesus with the alabaster box and she breaks it and anoints him. And Judas says, so that's a year's salary. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? We could have sold that and done a whole lot of good. And Jesus said, her name is going to be recorded. She's going to be remembered forever. Now, there was a point in this story, before the story happens, where she made a decision to take something precious enough that would set her up for a long time and just break it. Now think about that. I think we would all love to have our name talked about that way by Jesus. But I'm not real sure we all want to be in the decision place. Where am I going to take this that would set me up a year's salary and just break it? But that's what she did. If there's going to be a victory... there's going to have to be a point before that happens where the conditions get tremendously uncomfortable. And if we're not willing to embrace the conditions, we will never experience a victory. It's the way we think about things. And it's not always easy. The Bible The Bible tells us many, many stories about people doing the work of God and things go sideways. David was anointed and ended up in a cave running for his life. I mean, that's, that's part of the story. Over and over we find, we find these stories. And we love to talk about the tail end of the thing. But you know, David and Goliath is a story that is told about David fighting a giant. And when he gets there, his brothers who he looked up to, his older brothers who he looked up to, he was like, hey, you going you gonna to go get some victory here? Come on, David, shut up, man. His childhood heroes crushed him. 
But you know, after the t- story is told, when he's standing there before the giant, what he says to the giant is, is, you know, I was alone in a field tending my father's flock and a bear came along and I killed him. And I was alone in the middle of the night tending my father's flock and a lion came along and I killed him. You ever been alone in the middle of the night fighting bears and lions? Oh my. The fact of the matter is, is there's some parts of the story of David and Goliath that, that we're not comfortable with experiencing ourselves. And it's not, it's not the part about fighting, fighting the giant because, you know, God gives the victory. No, it's, it's all the stuff that gave David the courage to stand in front of him that was a lot of really, really, really hard work. I sat down with a young man, uh, oh, it's probably been a couple of years ago now, um, that, you know, he's just head down, plugging away, doing the work of God. And we were talking. He was like, how, how, did, how did you get here? Where I'm at now, you know. And, you know, it, it, I started thinking about that. And it's, it's cutting the grass. And it's cleaning commodes. And it's vacuuming the church. And it's doing the things that other people don't want to do. And it's showing up to church when there's only eight of you. And it's, yeah, here in this church, this church. On Wednesday night, I've been here at this church, not in this building. This is before this building when we were transitioning between our old building and this building. Wednesday night service, I walked in and at the end of service, there were eight people in the building. Yeah, like that. Um, Some of those eight people are actually here tonight. So it's, it's doing all of those things year after year. It's walking into a hospital room with a family and somebody is not going to make it. And it's having faith for a friend who's dying. It's, it's over and over, just year by year, year after. And, you know, we're mostly older people here. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about? You look back at how we got here. We got here because we just stayed the course. And you just keep going through the things. And you get through what you're in now, and you embrace the moment here and whatever this is, and, and, you, and you move on. And then I started thinking about, as I was putting this together, the children of Israel and leaving Egypt. And there's some really cool pieces in this. And I love this story because it's become so personal to me. Let me, let me first. No, I, I'm, I'm, so the story of the children of Israel is really kind of a, a type and shadow that you can look at yourself and see an individual that is coming out of sin and into, into the promise, into, into, into faith in Christ, right? So Egypt is a type and shadow of sin. And so the children of Israel are, are, are slaves to sin. The Bible tells us that, that before Christ we were slaves to sin. We either serve God or we serve sinfulness. And, and so you, you have this, this parallel. And they come, they come out of that through struggle. And, and then what do they do? They go through the Red Sea, right? And so they go through the sea, the water. And, and as they go through, the army of Egypt or the power of sin follows them into the water and they get out and the water closes in on the army and destroys the power of sin over the life of those who, who escape. So, you know, Peter says that, that 
that just as Noah and uh, in, in the ark was saved by water, so are we. And so we have this type and shadow that we find in this story. And they, they, they get to the edge of the Red Sea and, and they realize that there's a, there's a barrier in front of them and an army behind them. And they turn to Moses and they say to Moses, we're going to die. We'd have been better off if you just left us as slaves. And so he, he, God parts the seas and they go through the sea and they get on the other side and the army is destroyed and they're all happy until they get thirsty and there's no water. And then they say, we're all going to die. Being better off if we were just slaves. And God gives them water. And they go along and then they run into, they don't have any food. And they tell Moses, we're going to die. We're going to starve to death. We'd have been better off if we were slaves. God gives them manna. And they get to the point where they say, we're tired of the manna, Moses. It tastes the same every day. So God gives them quail. And then they get thirsty again and we're going to die. And I'm reading this story and I'm thinking, what is wrong with these people? How many miracles does God have to do? How many times does water have to come out of a rock before you get it that God's going to give you water when you're thirsty? And so I'm reading this and I'm, I'm reading this, I'm studying this. I'm, you know, I'm a young man, I'm in my 20s and I'm studying, I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to understand and I don't have the understanding, the stuff I told you about, the types and shadows, I don't have that in my head yet. It's not there yet, I'm trying to figure this stuff out and, and, and I'm looking at that and I'm like, God, what is wrong with them? And it's like the Lord slapped me in the back of the head and said, you do that. What? And then, and then, remember that time and you panicked? You remember that time and you panicked? You remember that time and you panicked? And God is making me go through my life and my own set of panics. God brought me through each one of the ones that came before the next one. But there I am standing there looking at my next panic. Why? Because that's humanity. And we feel the pain that we feel right now. We don't remember the pain from yesterday. And we don't remember what brought us out of the pain from yesterday. All we know is we're hurting today. But the fact of the matter is, is whenever you read that story, you really should read that story, and you really should read it through the eyes of someone who's frustrated with these people for having miracle after miracle and not seeing the miracle in the miracle. So that you can understand your own life. Because I promise you, if you'll do that, you'll look at that and you'll look at yourself and you'll realize that you do that. The mentality has to shift so that you get to the point where it's like, Moses, hey, Moses, guess what? We ain't got no water. Hey, there's a rock. Right? It's a different way of seeing things because the fact of the matter is that the children of Israel had the opportunity to tell everybody around them, whenever you're thirsty, you got to go find water, but when we're thirsty, God provides it. That was their position, but they didn't see it. And so they march around and they march around and they, they get to the promised land and they, they have this big old argument about how they're supposed to do it. And Moses is like, let's go. And, and some of the people are like, let's go. And there were some others were like, hold on a second. Let's check it out. And God's like, Moses, tell them to just go. God, they're not going to go. Just tell them to go. They're not going to go. Send in some people to spy it out and they come back with a bad report. And, and, and 10 of them say, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And... And, 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 and 
and, and God says, okay, y'all going to march around in a circle. You ever march around in a circle spiritually? Y'all going to march around in a circle until you get it. And so they marched. And their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out, but people with a mentality who couldn't handle it didn't make it. And then the children of Israel had worn that slave mentality off and gotten away from that, that power that they had given back to their old life. When those were gone, and a new generation came along who understood that God had been giving them stuff all along, they said, all right, let's go. See how many different opportunities in this story these poor people had to embrace the conditions, and they failed. And what happened because of it? There's more to this story. They get across, and they get to Jericho, and they march around, and they worship God, and they praise God, and the walls fall down. And the Bible says that God won the victory. Not one person in the nation of Israel got hurt in that battle. There wasn't a drop of blood shed by a child of God in the, in the victory of Jericho. It was awesome. Kind of like some of our Sunday services where it just blows out and it's amazing. But you know what happened right after Jericho? There was another battle. Guess what happened that time? The children of Israel, the men, the warriors, they put on their armor and they got their weapons and they met the enemy. And when they met the enemy, some of the sons of Israel died on the battlefield. And some of the sons of Israel lost arms on the battlefield. Some of the sons of Israel got hurt on the battlefield. And some of the mamas lost their babies. And some of the wives lost their husbands. And some of the children lost their fathers because they died on the battlefield. And then there was another battle, and that happened again. And then there was another battle, and that happened again. Because in war, when you come in contact with the enemy, there's going to be some bloodshed. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some suffering. And if you don't embrace the moment, if you don't embrace the conditions, if you don't recognize that, then you won't fight the battle. And yes, there is sacrifice in the battle. But there's no victory without the battle. You've got to face the conditions. You've got to embrace the moment. The children of Israel, the story from, from Moses' birth until their possession of the promised land is the story of the child of God going through all of the seasons from salvation all the way through to maturity. It really is. And it's all about learning how to deal with the conditions and the tragedy and the heartache that come with it. 
It's not all easy. But in the end, they were victorious. In the end, they got a nation out of the deal. In the end, they're still here today, thousands of years later. I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick. We, we want the victory. But sometimes I think that we're not... We don't want the conditions that lead to the battle that brings about the victory. We want the healing, but we sure don't want the disease. We want the miracle, but we don't want the mess. Did you know that every miracle happens because of a mess? I mean, let's be honest. You don't get a miracle if everything is fine. Okay? You, you, you don't end up being able to have a testimony about what God did for you if you don't need God to do anything for you. It, it's, it's a difficult proposition. I guess, I guess we're all saying, God, I don't want a miracle. We really don't want the problem. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know what, you're going to have a problem. Because you exist. And life is long. One thing I've learned about life is it's long. And the other thing I've learned about life is it can be hard. And the other thing that I've learned about life is if you put your hands in God, it's worth every bit of it. Every bit of it is worth it. We, don't, we want freedom, but we don't want the pain of the prison. We want to walk in the promise, but we're, we sure don't want the fight that often leaves us bloody. So, I've run out of notes, and it's 7.56, and I'm going to be first to close again. For, the, for those of you who have not been here on Wednesday night when I'm teaching, I'm normally the last to finish, so, you know, it's a thing. My sisters bet on me. They bet on me. My, my oldest sister bets against me every time. Sandra, if you're on the internet, she's in South Carolina right now. If you're, I know you. This, this, this idea that, that, is, that I've been mulling about for some time, it, 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 really is, it really is about being a better follower of Christ. And I, I, don't, I don't want to, to be glum here, but the fact of the matter is, is that we, we often miss the opportunities for amazing blessings because we don't embrace the conditions that we're currently in. God wants us in a place where He can work in us and through us. Well, what does that mean? That means sometimes, like Paul, you got to get beat up and thrown in the prison so that you can run into a jailer who's at the right moment in his life to hear about Jesus. And if that jailer's life is turned and he becomes a follower of Christ because you were willing to take the punch, was it worth it? There is nothing more powerful than when someone puts their arm around you when you're going through a terrible place and you know they've been where you are and they survived. 
but you need to be the one putting your arm around somebody. And that means you have to survive something. Why am I going through this, God? What are you going to get out of this? Not, what, what glory is coming your way, Lord? Not, why am I going through this? This is terrible. I don't deserve this. First part of the question is the same. Why am I going through this is the same question. But how are you going to get glory out of this, God? has to be the second half of the question. It has to be. And whenever we have our eyes wide open and we're expecting God to do something, <clears throat> even if it takes years, even if it takes years, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this, this little testimony. It's... it's it, when I was, I don't know, 20-something years old, um, not, my dad in, in 1992 had a quadruple bypass, and the doctor told us he had five years to live. He's still alive. If you count on your fingers, it's, it's well past 1997. Um, but in there, in the middle of that, my, my, my parents had, uh, had, had gone through, uh, lost a farm and bankruptcy because of a farm situation that wasn't, I mean, it was the weather. The weather destroyed crops four years in a row and they lost everything. And so, you know, they, my dad's past 50, past 60 at that point, and uh, dealing with, with very serious heart problems and trying to, trying to teach school to, to make a living and um, they didn't own a home and because of the bankruptcy they really couldn't go buy a house and, and you know honestly how do you get a 30-year mortgage whenever you're on a, a teacher's salary and you're 60 years old and you're 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 you know got a bankruptcy you, you don't so they're they're renting renting a house they're renting renting and I, I started praying God you got you got to fix this. You you got to. This isn't going to work. You got to give them a house. And I I started. The more I prayed, the more specific. White. Uh, Dad likes to cut the grass. So it needs to be of a size that he can manage. Um, it needs to be in Deritter because uh, that's that's where they live. That's where they want to live. So it's, it needs to be in town. It needs to be. And I was sp very specific. And I prayed for like five years. And, and then my grandparents, my grandfather passed away, and um, my dad's four brothers and sisters, they came to my mom and dad and said, look, um, <clears throat> the house is empty. Uh, it's part of the estate. We can sell it and get the money, but really what we want is we just want y'all to live there. And um, we don't have to pay us anything. You don't, you don't have to pay us our share. You just live there. And we will worry about the estate whenever we'll let our we'll let our kids worry about the estate. In other words, y'all got it till you die. The only one there was one part of my prayer that God did not answer. My dad had been praying that he could live in Dry Creek where he was born and raised. And so the house is in Dry Creek. That's the only part of my prayer that didn't get answered. They didn't pay a dime for that house. And they live in that house. But I never did pray. God, this is a mess. These people have served you their whole life. And my parents served God their whole lives. Look, 
I have more hours sleeping under a pew in a Pentecostal church than most people have in church. Okay, I grew up here in, in church. I'm a fifth generation apostolic Pentecostal. Fifth gen- I'm fifth generation. All right? I, I, I don't know another way. You've you seen me in the kitchen cooking? Well, I learned that from my mother because what I learned is that she was always in the kitchen at the church cooking. And if I went in there with her, I got to eat before everybody else. So that's why you see me in the kitchen now. They serve God faithfully my whole life and lost everything. There was no part of my prayer that said, God, remember that? What you going to do? It was just, God, this is their situation. And I know that you can take care of it. And God took care of it. No part of my prayer was, was, was looking at their circumstance and being mad at God or upset with God about the things that they had been through. Actually, if you were to talk to my dad, my dad would tell you that, that, that the bankruptcy saved his marriage, it saved his, his spiritual life, his walk with God, and it put him in a position where it saved a church. All of those things happened. We don't have time for, for that story. But, but at the end of the day... They left that place and came here, and a situation happened. My dad was best friends with the pastor. The pastor ended up having some problems and would have destroyed my father had he been there, but he was with Brother Gidrose, saved him. While he was here with a few years that he was with Brother Gidrose, he learned from Brother Gidrose. He taught uh, the new converts classes, and he, he, he did everything around the church, and he spent time with Brother Gidrose, and he had healing through those things. He went back to Louisiana, and the church there went through some terrible trouble, and my dad was the pastor of the church today will tell you that that church exists because of my father. And he will say that everything that he learned here at this church under Brother Gidrose is what helped him get that happen there. So he had to go through that. He will tell you that. It's never one minute where he's regretted his walk with God. Never one. And it was hard. And when I began to pray about that, that house situation, I didn't remind God of all that. I didn't tell God about all the stuff they've been through. I didn't say, hey, you know, you owe them. I just said, God, you're awesome. You can take care of anything. And this is where we are. And God did amazing things. And they live in that house to this day. And it's, you know, it's where they want to be. And when my dad leaves Dry Creek, he's saying, I got to get back to Dry Creek. I'm afraid he thinks he's, I think he's afraid that he's going to die someplace other than Dry Creek. Seriously. I, I really do. I, you know, he's, if he's going to drop, it's going to be in Dry Creek. So. All of that to say that when we embrace the conditions, it changes the dynamics. There's going to be a battle. And you're either going to embrace the conditions that lead to it, and you're going to participate in that battle from that place, or you're not, and you're going to struggle. But if you embrace the conditions, you'll get to the victory. It happens. It's, it's, the, it's the outline of Scripture in every one of these stories, in all of these stories, over and over and over and over. They embrace the conditions. They find the victory. Lord, we love you. We thank you for tonight. Lord, I ask you to touch us tonight. Lord, we want to be better followers of you. And that's going to require us to think differently than we think today. 
as we approach those situations, those moments of panic, those situations where we think, maybe I can't survive this one. It's okay because we know that we trust you. And if we embrace the conditions, no matter what, you get the glory. No matter what, you get the glory. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, tlcdallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.